Well, good morning. My name is Mario Arendang, and I serve as a student ministry pastor here at Village Church. And it's uh, my privilege to bring uh, the Word of God to uh, us this morning. Well, it's Christmas time, isn't it? And we're all excited about our Christmas plans, um, even in the midst of a pandemic. However, some of us will face an interruption between now and Christmas that will change our plans. I remember when my son Jack was about 15 months old, and we were shopping at Target, and he was in the, the cart, and, and when we had our backs turned to him, it was just a split second, he, something captured his eye, and he, he stood up in the cart and reached to grab something on the shelf, and he came tumbling out of the cart, hit his head really hard on a shelf, and, and we were concerned about a head injury, so we rushed him to uh, the emergency room at the hospital. Well, when we got there, he was running around the exam room fine, so the doctor sent us home and that everything should be fine, and this was just a few days before Christmas. Well, a couple of days later, um, we noticed that there was something wrong with Jack's head. There was a soft spot on his head, and this was just the day before we were supposed to travel to Michigan to visit grandparents. So we called our pediatrician, and he uh, said, you need to come in for an x-ray, because we didn't get an x-ray the first time, and, and he said, he said, look, do you have any plans to traveling more this Christmas? And we said, well, well, yeah, we're going to go to see grandparents on both sides of our family the next day. And he said, well, I, I've got to be honest with you. It's like, I'm not sure you're going to be able to make that trip. Because if, if something's seriously wrong or he needs extra care and attention, you, it's not safe for you to travel with Jack. Can you imagine having to make that phone call to, to grandparents on both sides who are excited to see their first grandson, their first grandchild, on that Christmas and say, I know you've been looking forward to seeing Jack, but we're not going to be able to come this Christmas. So we went to the hospital and and got x-rays that day before and waited all days on uh, on pins and needles and prayers. And and, uh, we finally got a phone call uh, later, late that night from our pediatrician. And he said, well, I got the results back. And the x-rays showed that he does have a, a slight fracture um, in his skull, a hairline fracture in his skull. But because he's young, he's going to heal just fine, and that, that soft spot will go away. And he said, it's okay for you to travel to Michigan. Well, fortunately, things worked out for us, but things don't always work out for us, do they? God sends the, Gabe, the angel Gabriel to a backwater town in Nazareth. Now, at this time, Nazareth had a population of 400 people. And if you think about this gym, there's just over 500 chairs in this gym. And so the whole population of Nazareth could fit easily in this gym if there's only 400 people. In our text today, we see that Mary and Joseph are betrothed to be married to each other. Now, a betrothal in in, uh, Jesus' day was much more legally binding than an engagement is today. As a matter of fact, a uh, if a young man and woman were betrothed to be married, they would actually be considered husband and wife. And the only way you could break a betrothal was, was through a divorce. A young lady could get betrothed at ages 12 or 13 years old, and it's probably thought that Mary was somewhere between the ages of 12 and 14. So parents, if you have a, a seventh grader, eighth grader, or a ninth grade daughter, your daughter could be betrothed to be married right now. Kind of a crazy thought, but that's how old Mary was when, when she was betrothed to Joseph. Uh, betrothal would last about one year, and the reason for the one-year period was just to make sure 
that the young lady was faithful and remained pure for that time. And if she was found to be pregnant, the consequence was death by stoning. But Mary and Joseph have done everything right up to this point. They both loved the Lord and followed the Lord. In Matthew 1, verse 19, um, it says that Joseph was faithful to the law. And I want to ask you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 this morning. And, and we see in Mary's own testimony, and Luke 1, 26 is where we're going to read, but in Mary's testimony starting in verse 46, it says that she was righteous and she walked blamelessly before the Lord. So here's Mary and Joseph, and they love the Lord. They, they live pure lives. And Mary was a virgin, and she was looking forward to her wedding day with Joseph. However, Mary faces an interruption when Gabriel appears to her. Read with me Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named, whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God." And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Today I want us to learn from Mary three responses to help you deal with interruptions when they come your way, not just here at Christmas time, but at any time in our life. The first response is to seek to understand your situation. Seek to understand your situation. When the angel first appeared to Mary, we see that there's, there's two words here in verse 29. It says that she was greatly troubled by the saying, and she tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. She didn't even hear the, the news yet that she was going to can be conceived by the Holy Spirit and bear Jesus and to be the mother of Jesus. She was just troubled by the fact this angel Gabriel shows up and gives this greeting and says that she's favored and the Lord is, is with her. Now, the, what these two words mean is this. The fact that she was greatly troubled means this, is that she was going in between her emotions and her thinking and she's trying to ponder what's going on. And the fact that she's trying to discern was the idea that is saying that she was confused. And the more she thought about it, the more confused she got about this situation. She's like, I'm I'm not sure what's going on here. You know, when we all deal with interruptions, sometimes we can experience that sense of confusion, don't we? I want to read an excerpt from 
a modern-day wise counselor who can shed light on Mary's experience that we all face when interruptions come our way. And I think you're familiar with this guy. His name is Dr. Seuss. And he wrote this book, Oh, the Places You Will Go. Congratulations, today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself in any direction you choose. You're on your own and you know what you know, and you are the guy who will decide where to go. You'll look up and down streets, look them over with care. About some you will say, I don't choose to go there. With your head full of brains and your shoes full of feet, you're too smart to go down a not-so-good street. And you may not find any you'll want to go down. In that case, of course, you'll head straight out of town. It's opener there in the wide open air. Out there, things can happen and frequently do to people as brainy and footsie as you. And when things start to happen, don't worry, don't stew. Just go right along. You'll start happening too. Oh, the places you'll go. You'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to high heights. You won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass a whole gang and you'll soon take the lead. Wherever you fly, you'll be the best of the best. Wherever you go, you will top all the rest. Except when you don't. Because sometimes you won't. I'm sorry to say so, but sadly it's true that bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. You can get all hung up in a prickly perch, and your gang will fly on. You'll be left in a lurch. You'll come down from the lurch with an unpleasant bump, and the chances are then you'll be in a slump. And when you're in a slump, you're not in for much fun. Unslumping yourself is not easily done. You will come to a place where the streets are not marked. Some windows are lighted, but mostly they're darked. A place you could sprain both your elbow and chin. Do you dare stay out? Do you dare go in? How much can you lose? How much can you win? And if you go in, should you turn left or right, or right in three quarters, or maybe not quite? Or go around back and sneak in from behind? Simple it's not, I'm afraid you will find. For a mind maker upper to make up his mind, you can get so confused. And this was Mary. She was so confused. And Gabriel sees this perplexed, this confused look on her face, and see, he goes to reiterate, he says, don't be afraid that you are favored. Now, in, in verse 28, you see the verb form of favor. In verse 30, it's the noun form of the word favor. And the root word for favor, this is an important thing, is, is, is the word grace. And we see the noun form of grace countless times through the Old Testament. But to see the verb form of grace, that she is graciously, freely given grace upon grace, is only seen two places in the, in the Bible. It's here in Luke one twenty eight, but it's also true in Ephesians 1, verse 6, when it talks about us as believers, where we receive this grace upon grace from God himself. Now, this is significant, and the reason why this is significant is this. Yes, Mary is special. She is set apart in that God chose her to be the mother of Jesus, and as we already talked about, she lived a blameless and an upright life. But on the other hand, Mary's a sinner just like us. She needed Jesus to be 
the Savior of her life. My Catholic friends will elevate Mary to a position she ought not to be on. They'll, they'll pray to her and they'll pray these Hail Marys to her and they'll ask Mary to intercede on their behalf to God the Father. But we know clearly from Scripture that, that we can go straight to Jesus, that we don't need to pray to anybody else but to Jesus himself. And we learned just a few weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. If we have Jesus inside of us and living inside us in that relationship, we can go directly to Jesus himself. We don't need to pray to Mary or anybody else. We can go to Jesus himself. Let me read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, which says that we have this same grace that was favored to Mary. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, it says, In love he predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. That, that word he freely has given us is that same word that, of grace that Mary has received. So we see that God has freely poured out his grace on Mary, but he's also freely poured out his grace on you. And, and now Mary's trying to process and understand what is going on. When an interruption comes your way, just like Mary, it's okay to ask the question, I need to understand what's going on in my life. Now Mary was able to receive an immediate answer from Gabriel. She was able to understand that she was gonna, the Holy Spirit was going to conceive in her and she was going to bear Jesus. But that's not always the case. We don't always get an explanation right away. As believers, we've, we've often heard this phrase, right, that it's for our good and for God's glory. And that's absolutely true. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. I want to ask you, are you facing an interruption in your life today? If you're not, you will one day. Remember, like Mary, it's okay to try to seek and understand what's going on and work through those emotions and thoughts to seek and understand your situation. The second response to help you deal with interruptions is to see how God is at work. To see how God is at work. Whenever your life is interrupted, God is at work. Now, the truth of the matter is that God is always at work, isn't he? If we look at John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, My Father is always at his work, and to this very day I too am working. And as Gabriel goes on to explain why he's visiting Mary with this message, Mary's going to see both God's purposes and his power, both in her life and the lives of those around her. First of all, God shares his purposes for sending Jesus. And the first purpose that he has for sending Jesus is to free us from sin. The very name Jesus means the Lord saves. And if we look at the account of when Mary was visited in Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 21, it says, She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, if you don't hear anything else in my message this morning, I want you to listen to this. Jesus' name means that he'll save you from your sins. And I want to ask you this morning, are you saved from your sins? Now, what does that mean? Romans 6.23 says this, 
for the wages of sin is death. Now, what is death? Death is not just a physical death that we're going to die one day in the future, but it's a spiritual death that we face when we don't know Jesus. That's eternal separation from God. The rest of that verse says, but the gift of God, though, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. How do we receive that? How can we know for sure that we are saved from our sins, that we are, are free from our sins? Well, listen to this closely. God created you for a relationship with him. But we all sin. Our sins, though, they separate us from God, and it puts us in bondage to sin. Sins can't be removed by good deeds, no matter how hard we try. 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit came and, and conceived and married Jesus, and, and then Jesus was born, and he lived a perfect life. And then Jesus went to the cross, and he died on the cross for your sins and my sins, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And everyone who repents and believes in Jesus alone has eternal life and they're free from their sin. And that life eternal, it starts today, starts now, and it lasts forever. And I want to ask you, if you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'd be in heaven with Jesus? How can you know for sure? It's by trusting in Jesus alone as your Savior and Lord and asking him to forgive you your sins and to come into your life. Don't leave today without, without making sure that you have a relationship with Jesus. If, if you have questions, ask myself or Pastor Tim or, or the friend or the family member that brought you. Make sure that, that you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. The second purpose that we see here is why God sent Jesus is to fulfill his promises. Now, in Jesus' life and ministry, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus' life, earthly life and ministry. The one promise that we see here is a promise that God made to King David about 1,000 B.C., 1,000 years before Jesus was born. And, and David, is, he's sitting on his throne, and we, this is called the Davidic covenant. And God promised to David that out of your seed is, always, is going to be someone who's going to sit on the throne forever and ever and ever. And this is the promised Messiah that they're waiting for. And let me read 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. This is a Davidic covenant. And God's saying to David this, that when your days are fulfilled and, you're, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your, your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, if we look at Matthew's genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, we can trace Joseph's lineage all the way back to David. So we see that Joseph being the father of Jesus, the lineage traces back to, to David. But we know that Joseph is not the natural father of Jesus, right? Because Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit. However, when Jesus is born, Joseph adopts Jesus as his son. And as an adopted son, he has all the, the rights of, of, an, of an actual natural-born son. So he, Jesus actually inherits the rights of a son and inherits the rights of Joseph and ultimately inherits the rights of the throne of David. So we see that through Joseph's lineage in Matthew 1. In Luke chapter 3, it follows Mary's lineage, if you look at that, and you see that her lineage also goes to David. So we see that how Jesus fulfills that Davidic covenant in his birth. The third purpose that we see is is that Jesus came to found his kingdom. He found his kingdom. In verse 33, we, it says that he will reign over the house of Jacob. That's, 
the house of is also Israel forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. We see over and over again as we look at the Gospels that Jesus came to establish his kingdom. He didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom, but he came to establish a kingdom that's filled with those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. Mary goes on to say in verse 34 to the angel, how will this all be since I am a virgin? Well, now we see how God's going to show his power. And Virgin Mary's conception by the Holy Spirit is the first way he shows his power. In verse 31, it said, the angel tells Mary, you will conceive in your womb. In verse 35, the angel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born shall be called Holy, the Son of God. And so Mary is going to conceive by the Holy Spirit. And Mary have not had any intimate relationships with each other before Jesus was born. Mary was a virgin. But God shows his miraculous power through the conception of Jesus. I want to share with you two theological terms briefly this morning and, and that all come together at the conception of Jesus. And the first is incarnation. And incarnation basically means God in the flesh. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 of John chapter 1 says, And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So incarnation is, is God coming in the flesh in the person of Jesus. The second term maybe you've heard before is, is hypostatic union. And what that really does, it explains how the two natures of, of Jesus being fully God and fully man coming together in the one person of Jesus, that Jesus is 100% God and he's 100% man, and it's all coming together in the person of Jesus. It's not that Jesus is 50% God and 50% man, but he's 100% God and 100% man. And this is really important for this reason. When we're born, we, we are inheriting a sin nature from Adam. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. So because Jesus wasn't born of a natural father, Joseph, he doesn't inherit the sin nature that we inherit. But because he's conceived by the Holy Spirit, because he's, in fact, 100% God, right? He has no sin in him, because he's unfamiliar, and he never sinned when he lived on this earth. And that's an important thing to know about the conception of Jesus, that why he's conceived by the Holy Spirit. We also see God's power in Elizabeth's conception in her old age. In Luke 1, 7, it said that Elizabeth was beyond the age of childbearing, that she was barren, she didn't have any kids. And it also says that, that her husband, Zechariah, was also old in age. We know, too, that uh, Elizabeth is related to Mary uh, and, her cousin, and that they probably were cousins. And that's what God says. It says, look, Mary, I'm, just to give you assurance that you're going to, to bear Jesus, I just want to point you to your cousin, your, your relative Elizabeth, and she's already in her sixth month of pregnancy. And, of course, we know later that Mary goes and visits Elizabeth and spends the last three months of Elizabeth's pregnancy with her. Gabriel concludes his message to Mary by saying in verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. When you and I face interruptions in our lives, we need to see how God is at work in our lives, both in his purposes and his power in and around us. And I want to ask you, do you see how God is at work in and around your life? 
The third response to help you deal with interruptions is to surrender to God's plan. Surrender to God's plan. In verse 38, we see that this is Mary's response. And Mary said in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary was saying, Lord, I'm your servant. Wherever you ask me to go, I'll go. Whatever you ask me to do, I'll do, even if it means shame and disgrace from uh, my neighbors around me. When the interruption came to Mary's life, Mary surrendered to God's plan. What about you? When an interruption comes your life, will you surrender to God's plan? I think about Jesus. Now, this wasn't an interruption in his life because he knew he was going to the cross. But the night before he went to the cross, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he agonized in prayer with his father. And he said, at the end of his prayer, he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And when an interruption comes in your and my life, can we say the same thing, God? And when we agonize over a circumstance or situation, can we say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. In Romans chapter 6, verse 22, just as Mary was saying, I'm your servant, it's the exact same word for servant that we find. And it says this, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become servants of God, saying that you and I, just like Mary, are servants of God. And why do we serve God? Why are we his slaves? Because it's the first part of verse, because you've been set free from sin. I always want you to think about whatever should motivate you to to serve God and to follow him is to to think about who Jesus is and what he's done for you at the cross. And out of gratitude for who he is and what he's done for us at the cross is to say, Jesus, I'm your servant. I want to conclude with just an illustration that, that was powerful in my life that of a family that lived out what Mary lived out when they faced a huge interruption in her life. When I first started in ministry a number of years ago, I was a junior high youth pastor, and uh, there was this family called the Forens. Uh, Jeff and Jane were the mother and father. They were in their late 30s, and they had three beautiful children. There was Jessica, who was in eighth grade, and Katie, who was in sixth grade, and, and little Richie was in fourth grade. Well, it was a Wednesday afternoon, and I, we had youth group Wednesday night, and it, it was early in the afternoon, and I was getting ready for youth group. When all of a sudden I got called down to an emergency meeting with the other pastors at this church that I was serving at, we got news that Jeff went to downtown Detroit where he went to work, and he was working out in the gym at his job. And as, as he was on the treadmill, he had a heart attack, and he died instantly. So we were with the pastors, and we had Jane on the phone, and and, we're, and the kids were going, there was a Christian school right there, so Jessica, Katie, and Richard were all at school, and we're trying to figure out, helping Jane figure out how does she break the news to the kids. And we decided just to let the kids finish out their school day and to come home on the bus. And then all of us pastors at the end of this, right before the end of school day, we, we went to Jane's home and met her in the garage and, and waited for the kids to get off the bus, and we, and we saw the kids come off the bus. And... Uh, you know, they thought it was just another normal day, right? But then they saw all his pastors there with, with their mom. And I can, I'll never forget that moment. And, and Jane gets down on one knee, and, and she looks at each of her kids, and she said, Jessica, Katie, Richard, 
I have some horrible news to share with you today. Your dad was at work, and at lunchtime he was on the treadmill, and he had a heart attack, and, and he died. And I'll never forget the emotion on, on those three kids' faces and their screams, like, no, no, this can't be. Why? And we all got in our cars, and we went down to the Detroit Receiving Hospital, and they, they got to see their dad and, and Jessica's husband, Jeff. But I'll never forget the days after that. I've never seen anything like this. You see, Jessica, or Katie, Richie, and their mom, Jane, yes, they grieved for the loss of the dad, but they had such a celebration. And I, because I was a junior high youth pastor, I got to spend the next three days with them every day, and they celebrated like I've never seen before. And here's the reason why. Because all of Jeff's life, Jeff never knew the Lord, but just a year before that, Jeff gave his life to Jesus as his Savior and Lord, and they were celebrating the fact that their daddy was in heaven with Jesus. And, and that was really their attitude. And they had the same response as Mary. They're saying, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Now, the reality is, some of you are facing interruptions this morning. Some of you are going to face interruptions in the days and weeks, months ahead. And how will you respond? Hopefully we can respond like Mary and say, Lord, I'm your servant. Let it be according to your word and continue to give praise and glory to him.